Welcome to the 180 Ministry Podcast. Please check us out at the1-80.org. Father in heaven, I pray that you will illuminate our minds as we look into your word. Give us wisdom and give us understanding. And Lord, draw us ever closer to you that we might have a deeper understanding of this truth in light of looking at prophecy. Lord, forgive me of my sins, Lord. Father, hold not my sins to my account, but use me as a conduit, as a vessel to communicate your goodness. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're in Daniel chapter 9, and we're looking at verse 24. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. This is what it states here in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. There is a work that Israel is supposed to do, and that work they're supposed to do is to go until the first coming of the Messiah. It is to go until the first coming of the Messiah. What is that work? It says to finish what? To finish transgression. Now, in the Bible, I need a volunteer for us today. If you can read for us 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, let's look at the definition of transgression or the definition of sin. So, if you can look at that with me, um, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. What is the definition of sin according to the Bible? Transgression of God's law. All right. So as we're looking at this, we're understanding that sin is the transgression of the law of God. So Israel then, by the time the Messiah came, what was their work? To finish transgressing God's law. All right. So as we look at this, we're seeing here in the slide... um, This prophecy that we covered, the 490 literal years that God had given Israel for repentance. All right, so we're seeing this here. Israel had been given how long to do this work? 490 literal years. And you remember, we found out that the starting date was what? And we have it up here. I think we have it up here on the screen. 457, right? So we start, We saw it started at 457, and it went all the way until the beginning of the Messiah's public ministry, which was in 27 AD. We covered this last time, two weeks ago, and we saw that, wow, okay, so the Messiah's ministry started at that date. Does anyone remember how old Jesus was? 30 years old, right? So at the same time, it's very interesting, at the very same time that the priestly ministry was to begin or a person was to become officially a priest or a leader or a Pharisee or a teacher of God's law to the people, it was at that same age that Christ himself began his public ministry. So as we're looking at this, we saw that that brings us 483 years into the 490-year prophecy. We still have an entire week left or seven years left. Now, in the midst of that last seven years, what happened to Jesus? He was crucified. Hence, we have the symbol of the cross. And then three and a half years later, what happened? Stephen was stoned. The closing of the 490-year prophecy. Does anyone remember what Stephen saw even as he was dying? 
That's right. Christ standing at the right hand of God. Right? Now, why is that so important? There is another time in history that we're going to cover later on in our series that shows us when Jesus stands up again. And it reveal, that's revealed to us in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. He stands up, and as he stands up, basically what has happened is another probationary time period has closed. But this time it will be for the entire world. All right, so now we're talking specifically about the Jewish nation. And we're seeing that Stephen, as he's being stoned, he sees Jesus standing in a sense showing that what has happened to the Jewish nation, that the literal Jewish nation, the time period that was given for them to put away sin from their lives, now that time had come to an end. And you remember, we found out the good news was that as it concerns Israel now, Israel is no longer a geographical place. But who did we find out now constitutes Israel? We all are Israel. Hence, Jesus says, or Jesus says it through Paul. He says, all they that are Abraham's seed, that believe in Christ, they are Abraham's seed and heirs of the promises of God. So that means now Israel went from being a geographical place to being global. Anyone who receives the Son of God as their Savior and as their Lord they are now constituted as a spiritual Jew. Now, as we looked at this, we were seeing something crucial. We saw that, okay, this is 490 years, but it's only 490 years of a larger time prophecy. And when does the time prophecy begin, as we saw here? 457. So we have the starting date. The first prophecy that we covered two weeks ago gives us the starting date. So all we have to do here, we have 490 years into this larger time prophecy. And so now we're going to go back to the larger time prophecy now that we have the starting date. So the question now is, according to, let's go back there, according to the angel who spoke with Daniel... What would happen at the end of the 2300 days? So remember, the 490-year prophecy was part of the larger 2300-day prophecy. And you remember, we said in the Bible, a day represents in prophecy a what? A year. So 2300 days would be really how long? Yes, that's right, 2,300 years. It's interesting. I was sitting up this week, and I was thinking, man, where else is this thing mentioned? And I was realizing, do you know, it's weird. This is so weird. The prophecy is actually mentioned. This prophecy in Daniel 8.14 is actually mentioned almost eight other times in the book of Daniel. But it's under the word, there are two major words that are used. One is the word um, mare, and the other word is kazom. So when you look at the word vision in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14, for example, we read it here. And he said, that's the angel speaking to Daniel, unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. The next verse actually tells us, and we're going to go there, Daniel chapter 8 and verse 15. It says there in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 15, 
And it came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning, then behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. Now, you know what's interesting about this? That word there in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 15 is the word kazon. So it is in reference to almost the entire vision that was laid out in Daniel chapter 8, verses 1 to 14. But check this out. Go with me now to verse 16. It says there, And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the what? The vision. That word there is mare which literally means the specific portion that was mentioned in Daniel 8.14. So in other words, what it's saying here, we have the first reference again after Daniel 8.14 to the 2300-day prophecy. And this goes on for seven more times throughout the book of Daniel. So literally, the 2300 days is mentioned eight times in the entire book of Daniel under the, sub, under the word mare. Now, mare is the Hebrew word that we're talking about. So as we look at this now, one of the things that I want us to see here is it says unto 2300 days, which is really what? Years, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now, it's interesting. In the Bible, whenever it talks about the cleansing of the sanctuary, there was only one time in Israel's entire year that the sanctuary was ever cleansed. That's right. On the Day of Atonement. So on the Day of Atonement is the very day that the sanctuary was cleansed. So that means... Whatever the end of this cleansing of the sanctuary is, it will be like almost like a kind of what? A kind of day of atonement or period of atonement. When we get to the end of this 2300-day prophecy or 100-year prophecy, whatever date we arrive at, an antitypical example of the day of atonement has begun does that make sense all right so that means now all we have to find out is when does this thing end and we will know when the day of atonement begins all right because when was the sanctuary cleansed on what day in the jewish system Day of Atonement. So that means whatever date we arrive at, at the end of the 2300 days, what begins? A Day of Atonement, right? So that means we all, all we have to do now is find out when does the 2300-year prophecy end. And we found out where we're now 490 years into that prophecy, so now we have to find out how this thing ends. And friends, this is how it looks when it ends. Okay, so we covered, we got the beginning date, 457. We went all the way to 34 AD. That gives us 490 years. How many years do we then have left out of the 2300? 1810. 1810 years left for us to get 2300. All right? Does that make sense? So that means 490 at the 1810 should give us how much? 2300. 
And friends, that's exactly what we get. 2,300 years after 457 BC, you get to 1844 AD. All right? So now, that means we've gotten to the end of the 2,300-year prophecy. Now, according to the Bible, what's supposed to happen at the end of the 2,300-year prophecy? What's supposed to happen to the sanctuary? It should be cleansed. So a cleansing process began where? In 1844. All right? A cleansing process began in the sanctuary. Now remember, when Jesus Christ died, the work in the sanctuary on earth ended. So the sanctuary we are talking about here is a sanctuary where then? in heaven now something that I covered a few weeks ago as you remember you take me through this when the sinner comes into the sanctuary into the courtyard of the sanctuary does anyone remember what's the first thing that he does with that animal that he brings to offer that's right he he prays over the animal and what is he doing at that moment that he's praying transferring sin all right so now, as he does this, then the next thing that the sinner does is what? You guys said it? The sacrifice of the animal, right? Now, as the sinner is giving this animal as a sacrifice, what is the priest doing? Yeah, so he's catching the blood of the animal. And you remember, in that blood is what? Sin, right? So the sinner transfers it from them to the animal. As the blood is caught, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. So that sin there is in that blood, symbolically, all right? Now, what does the priest then do next? Where does he take that blood? That's right. All throughout the year, he's taking it into the holy place. And so what's happening in the sanctuary as a result of him continually bringing sin into it is being filled up with sin. Now, here's the good news. That sin that it's being filled up with is what kind of sin? Is it sin that's still against us or, it's, is, or is it sin that's forgiven? It's sin that's forgiven. So sin that has been forgiven is continually accumulating in the sanctuary in the holy place. And so as it's accumulating, there has to come a point where what has to happen with that sin? Because what is it doing to the sanctuary? It's defiling it. So what has to happen then at some point? It has to be cleaned out. It has to be cleansed. And what day was it cleansed on? Day of atonement. So that means, friends, what we're doing right now is we're showing that we are living, and so this was for the old sanctuary. This was for the sanctuary of old. But that shows us something for the heavenly sanctuary. That means, so let's go back now. When the sinner comes into the sanctuary, let's say it's us. We come into the sanctuary. Who is the sacrifice that we're bringing? Jesus Christ, right? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. Now, this is beautiful. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. And what, what do we do with that sacrifice? What's the first thing the sinner did? Yes, he confessed his sin. But what happens to the sin? Where does it go? It's transferred. In our case, it's transferred to whom? Jesus. Jesus. He takes on our sin. 
And so the first article we meet in the sanctuary is the altar of burnt offering, a symbol of the cross. He becomes our sin bearer. Now, as he's taking on our sin, his blood is shed for us, right? But now, here's the catch. And I want to, I want to see if you guys are with me on this. Symbolically, who's catching the blood? Jesus Christ himself. Our high priest. So Jesus is both the sacrifice and the priest, right? And so now, what does he do with that sacrifice symbolized in the blood? Where does he take it? Yes, he ascends to the holy place. And we found out he was there for a long time. Right? For as long as we, as we see that blue line, as we see from 31 AD all the way to 1844, that's 1813 years, Christ was in what compartment of the sanctuary? The holy place. He was there for that long. Can you imagine? No man has even ever lived that long. But Jesus has been there officiating and we found out what was he doing there he was protecting the articles he rose he raised up the reformation he raised up the apostolic movement to protect the articles and so now we're finding out that as the high priest does every once a year annually the high priest then says okay the sin has been accumulating in the sanctuary for this long for this amount of time it's time to cleanse it and so in 1844, now that cleansing work is the only time the priest would ever enter into the most holy place, all right? So that means if the cleansing of the sanctuary is connected with the Day of Atonement, which is connected with the most holy place, that means what happened in 1844? Where did Jesus go? into the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. So Jesus, since 1844, has been in what compartment of the heavenly sanctuary? The most holy place. Now, can somebody do the math for me? 2021 minus 1844. Who knows what that number is? 2021 minus 1844. 177. So since 1844, Jesus has been in the most holy place how long? 177 years in the heavenly sanctuary, in the last compartment, doing a work while he's still forgiving us of our sins, no doubt. We can still come to Jesus today and our sins will be forgiven as we confess them. But his major work now is to do what with sin? To cleanse it from the sanctuary, to completely blot it out of existence. Now, as we're looking at this, friends, does this make sense? Yeah? Okay. This is a, a, a good bit that we're covering here, but it's vital for us to understand in these times. Now, in light of that, whose cases are being Examined, or the word here I have considered in this time of judgment because that's what the Day of Atonement was. It was a judgment that took place in Israel when Israel would be confessing their sins. A text that you can look at is Leviticus 16 and also Leviticus 27. And you could study what took place on that day. The people were searching their hearts. 
to make sure that they were right with the Lord because they knew that this was the day that the high priest was working with God to blot sin out. All of the sins that had been accumulating over the year was now to be blotted out of Israel. So Israel would stand before God, not just with sins forgiven, but the sin was completely non-existent, blotted out of existence, right? So as we look at this now, this is amazing. What we're beginning to see is that for Israel, who, so question for you, who was it that was being judged on the day of atonement? Whose cases were being considered? Let me ask you something. Did the pagans know about the day of atonement in the time of the Jews? No. The people of the world at that time, the Gentiles, had no understanding of the Jewish feast days. All right? But who did have an understanding? Israel, God's people. So what I'm here to say to us today is that those cases that are being considered are the cases of those who claim to follow God. That's right. It is Israel. Crucial point that I want to make here as we look at this. This is a vital point that I want us to look at. It's long, but it's vital. If we get this, we're really, we're really on point with this. So on the Day of Atonement, when the sanctuary was cleansed, it was cleansed from the sins of Israel of old, God's people. Therefore, the cases covered were the cases of who? God's people. Last time we saw that all those who believe in Christ are his people, his Israel. Something important to remember, however, is that the group who believes in and follows God, here it is, did not begin with who? The Jewish nation. So does that make sense? Israel, yes is a symbol of God's people, but did Israel exist before Israel? Did God have followers before he named a nation Israel? Yes, right? Now, if I were to ask you how far his followers went back, how far back did God have followers? There you go, the creation. The first family on earth, God had followers in them, all right? So Adam and Eve were followers of Jesus Christ. And so, all the way back to the days of creation, there were those who put their faith in the Messiah to come. Israel, therefore, encompasses, get this, all who put their faith in Jesus from when? The dawn of time creation to its end, the end of time. They are all, they are the ones therefore being judged. And it's amazing. Adam and Eve, they were looking forward to the Messiah. Do you know this? Friends, as you go back to the book of Genesis chapter 4, and I want to go back, to, go back uh, and look at this with you. Go back with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. This is some amazing stuff. When I found this out, I was blown away. So Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 4, this is very interesting. All right, Genesis chapter 4. And it was a sad story. It's a sad story, but it's very interesting. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. Say amen when you're there. Amen. 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 All right. So Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1 says this. And Adam knew his wife. This is after the fall now. 
And she conceived, and who did she bear? Cain. Now look at this. And said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. The interesting thing about this text is that when you look back at the original statement in the Hebrew, you realize that the word from is not in the text. So literally, the passage reads this way. Brother Bobby knows where I'm going. And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man, the Lord. So she literally thought, that's right, right? She thought that Cain was who? The Messiah. She thought that Cain would be the deliverer. So they thought that the deliverance from their fall was coming quickly. They didn't realize it would take thousands of years, 4,000 to be exact, before Jesus would come to earth. Sadly, the very one that they thought would be their Messiah was a murderer. He turned out to be a murderer, killed his own brother. That shows you how quickly sin escalated once it came into our world. All right? So as we look at this now, we're seeing that, wow, okay, Israel then goes all the way back to Adam because Adam followed God. He loved Jehovah along with his wife. So it goes all the way back to Adam, and it goes all the way throughout history to when? To the end of time. Now, this is vital as we look at it, friends, because what we're going to see here is that when the judgment began in 1844, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation chapter 11 that that judgment, if it covers all of God's people or those who profess to follow him from the dawn of time to its end, let me ask you this. When then or who then do you think the judgment begins with? Who, which person then do you think the judgment began with? In 1844, if it goes all the way back from creation, it goes throughout history, covering the cases of all who profess to be followers. Who then do you think the first case that came up in the judgment was? Adam. The Bible actually tells us in Revelation chapter 11 that the judgment would begin with the dead. All those who have believed among the dead... God starts off with their cases, and then there is coming a day when it would transfer to the, the living. This is some really intense stuff. So the, the, the thing that we're going to look at now, question three, what will be examined in this first phase of judgment or in this judgment we call the day of atonement so right now we're living in that day we're living in the day of atonement as we speak jesus christ is in his final work in the most holy place and now we're going to see what is what 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 is judged what is examined bible tells us in ecclesiastes 12 and verse 14 for god shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil James 2 verse 12 so speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty that's the ten commandments Revelation 22 verse 12 we touched on this before and behold I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be so God in this situation Christ is examining our works because while we are saved by grace we are judged by our works 
Why is that the case? Because if we truly have faith in God, it will be testified to in what we do. If we truly believe in Jesus and we love him, friends, there will be fruits that come forth in our lives to give evidence that we love Christ, right? By their fruits, you will know them. And so Christ is examining our cases now, and it's not that he doesn't know, but friends, it's very interesting. We are in the midst of a war. We are in the midst of a controversy between good and evil. And cases are being decided in that controversy before the entire universe as they look at the cases of men and women and children. So we are being judged by our works. Now, here's, we're going to come to some good news as we move forward. The major thing that we want to see here is our next question is this. As our cases are being judged, it might seem that, okay, man, I'm being judged in this situation. Is God against me? The good news is this. This is what it tells us in Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Is it God that accuses us in the judgment? Bible tells us, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called whom? The devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser, that's who? Satan, of our brethren, is cast down, which accused them before whom? Our God day and night. So in the judgment, who is the accuser? Satan. God has organized this judgment that's taking place now since 1844 onward uh, that we might be vindicated in that judgment. Not that we might be lost. The day of atonement is good news for the soul that is connected to God. This is not bad news. It is only bad news if we don't recognize it and accept the reality of Jesus being our high priest. And so hence, we'll end off with this reality. The question that we want to ask is, must I stand alone in the pre-advent judgment? Now, the reason we call it pre-advent, we covered this in our last message. It's the reality that this judgment is taking place prior to Jesus' second coming. That's why Jesus can say, when I return, I'm going to be giving out rewards according to men's works. But when did he have time to look over those works? It was prior to his coming. Prior to his coming, all cases were examined that men may be rewarded according to their connection with him or not. And so therefore, the word Advent means coming. The reason we call it pre-Advent judgment is because this is a judgment that takes place before the second coming. All right? So the question is, must we stand alone in this judgment? The good news is, no, we don't have to stand alone. In the Bible, it tells us, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, it tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to do what? Amen. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus Christ is willing, along with the Father, to forgive our transgressions. And so therefore, as it goes to the sanctuary... 
Christ intercedes for that sin, and it is no longer held against us. This is the good news. First, first John chapter 2 and verse 1 actually tells us that Jesus is our advocate in heaven. So we have one who is standing before the Father, interceding on our behalf. But not only is he our advocate, the Bible tells us, John chapter 5 and verse 22, Jesus is our judge. <laughs> so you're connected with both the lawyer and the... How can you lose? How can you lose? <laughs> this is the good news. <laughs> If we choose to receive the lawyer, we have the judge along with him, right? So therefore, we're realizing that it's almost like the whole Godhead is on our side. The whole, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is working things out so that we can win. All he asks of us is that we choose the great high priest to represent us. And then finally, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, Jesus is our faithful and true witness. So in this situation, he will tell us about our lives. He won't lie to us about the areas in which we are defective. But not only will he tell us what our condition is, but he himself will provide himself as the remedy to that condition. So we have the remedy. And the same one who is our remedy is our judge. The same one who is our judge is our lawyer. <laughs> Friends, I tell you the truth. If we see the judgment in this way and we walk in life in light of that, we cannot lose. We will only come out victorious. And it is not God's work. God is not in the business of just making us conquerors, friends. God wants to make us more than conquerors, the Bible tells us. This is the good news. Did this make sense? Amen? We are living in the final manifestation and example of the Day of Atonement when Jesus is doing his final work in the heavenly sanctuary. And after this, he will come to our world to take us home. All he asks of us now is that we will make him our remedy that we will accept him as our judge and as our lawyer. Good news about Christ is he has never lost a battle. He's never lost a case. Everyone who has chosen him and trusted in him, he has ever held on to them. One of the things that I realized in closing is the hardest thing in life, even though, yes, God will bring us as we trust in him to the point that all sin is taken away from us. But the great work in life, more than that, is to hold on until that point. Many give up in trusting that Jesus can do this. The hardest work is for us to not let go. Once we are in the hands of Christ, nothing can pluck us out except we ourselves come out of his hand. But if we choose to stay with every fiber of our being, even if it means that we are crawling, we will not lose. He will make sure that we win in the end. Is this your desire to come off more than conquerors? Amen? Then as we close, I ask you to bow your heads with us 
as we pray. Father in heaven, we have gone through much today in this message. And probably some of it didn't make sense, Lord, but I pray that the aspects that made sense, that it not only brought a sense of solemnity with it, Father, that it also brought hope. I pray that we will look to Jesus as our great high priest, as our lawyer, as our judge, and as our remedy. If we take hold of him like this each and every day, he will bring us off more than conquerors. Save us in this time. For we know that there is a time when every case was decided, when, when every decision was made, when the high priest ended his work. But the good news is now we can be saved. Now we have a savior. Now we have an advocate. And Lord, as long as we hold on to him, we will win. We thank you for this promise. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Please look us up online at the1-80.org and at the 180 YouTube channel. Please reach out to us with any questions or prayer requests. Until next time, thanks for listening.